Welcome to Spark Science, where we share stories of human curiosity. I'm your host, Regina Barbara DeGraff. I'm an astrophysicist here at Western and a pop culture enthusiast. I love learning new things. And I'm here with my colleague, neuroscientist Dr. Josh Kaplan, who studies how cannabis affects the brain. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And so when I heard about your research, I instantly thought, you need to be on our show. <laughs> the first thing we should talk about is like, what exactly is cannabis? When we say cannabis, what does that actually mean? Right. Well, people have heard of cannabis. They may not have known it, right? Yeah. It's been called many things throughout history, including marijuana, weed, you name it. Pot. But, <laughs> pot, sure. But cannabis is a plant. Yeah. It has over 100 known chemicals, which we call phytocannabinoids. Okay. Um, two of the most well-known of these cannabinoids are THC, which is this high-inducing cannabinoid that is often sought after by recreational users who are seeking to get stoned. But one <laughs> of the other ones that is uh, really gaining popularity now is known as cannabidiol, which I'll just be referring to as CBD, because many people know it as CBD. Okay. CBD is tell, tell me the scientific name one more time. Cannabidiol. 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 Yeah, okay. but you'll often see it if you go to a rec shop or, okay. or some medicinal shop. You'll see it as CBD, just the, that abbreviation. Whereas THC is this kind of intoxicating, high-inducing cannabinoid, CBD is non-intoxicating. So it's mm. not going to have that same type of effect that you're going to get with many of the recreational products that are rich in THC. Okay. But CBD has gained a lot of popularity over the last couple decades because it's thought to convey many of the therapeutic benefits that are associated with cannabis. Oh, okay. And so we see it now from everything being infused in beverages to topical creams to pills and oils and cookies and lozenges. You name it, mm -hmm. you can find it. And people have gotten really creative in the ways that we are consuming this product into the into our bodies and it, companies such as Budweiser which is owned by InBev has um, has at least stated that they're going to be getting into the CBD infused beverage market Coca-Cola mm. is doing the same so it is certainly getting on people's radar as this potentially um, therapeutic cannabinoid that comes from the cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. Any of the cannabinoids that are created by the plant mm -hmm. are Schedule One regulated. So they, by definition, through the federal government, um, have abuse potential and no medicinal value. Oh, wow. Okay. So that includes THC, that includes CBD, and many of the lesser known cannabinoids. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance, innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. Smoking the soul-destroying reaper, they find a moment's pleasure but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, 
murder, suicide, and the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. It is too late. So, um, if you go all the way back to the 1920s, Harry Anslinger um, just took over as the chief of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, which was known as the FBN. It was kind of the, the precursor to today's uh, Drug Enforcement Agency. So this was coming on the tail end of prohibition. Mm -hmm. Once we legalized alcohol, well, what is there left to do? So um, needing kind of a new target for his agency to go after, in addition to this kind of anti-immigrant sentiment that unfortunately still persists today in this country, and created the smear campaign against marijuana in this country. And he used a variety of different outlets, including the media, mainly William Randolph Hearst, who owned you know, the newspaper mogul, right. who had uh, a massive distribution of uh, information, most a lot of it false, right? The, hence the origin of yellow journalism. He used Hearst's platform mm -hmm. to kind of create these false narratives that marijuana, again, traditionally known as cannabis, um, was leading to violence, leading to um, really kind of negative and harmful uh, events that were occurring amongst immigrants and, and uh, racial minorities, which was the, the beginning of it being illegal. So we're going to take a quick break because I want to come back to this idea of like the fiber um, and the strength of hemp, and we'll come back and we'll talk about um, your research on the effects of cannabis on the brain. CBD like affects different receptors in the brain. You know, affects more like. A, I mean, I have a very like layman's understanding of it, but I know it, it. It's similar but different, and you can you can get weed that has both. Like the C, more CBD, more THC. CBD is kind of like diet so <laughs> kind of not really. But. back to Spark Science where we're talking about the neuroscience of cannabis with Dr. Kaplan and we were just talking about this idea of hemp is more fibrous and there was you told us this awesome story the history of, of like 
the legalization and well illegalization actually of of marijuana but tell me more about this like this fact about hemp being more fibrous and how does that play into the story well it's a really fibrous and strong plant and has a lot of utility in um, a variety of different manufacturing processes so um, again, going back to the, the late 20s and 30s, Harry Anslinger teamed up with William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper mogul, um, to kind of get this word out that marijuana was really harmful. And Hearst actually had a horse in the race here because one of his primary advertisers with his newspapers was the company DuPont, which was making a number oh. of synthetic fibers at the time. And their primary um, competition was the hemp industry, this massive growing hemp industry. So they were able to use this platform um, of making hemp and cannabis illegal, um, which would obviously benefit his primary advertisers as That's well so as crazy. help raise that yeah anti-immigrant sentiment that was pervasive in the country. Wow, that that blows me away. So the work that I was conducting at the University of Washington, again, focused on um, the therapeutic potential of CBD in treating epilepsy uh, as well as autism. Now that work really stemmed from um, a series of anecdotal reports that, that kind of began out of Colorado where there were a number of children that had a form of pediatric epilepsy. So they began developing these massive and repeated seizures um, early on in life that then increased in severity as well as frequency mm. um, as they went through childhood. And the, this, this syndrome is known as Dravet syndrome. Um, and it doesn't respond well to traditional anti-epileptic medications. Mm. In fact, 20% of all epilepsies do not respond well to traditional medications. Oh, wow. And so it's a large percentage. That's a huge percentage. And so you can imagine that the parents of these children were really seeking any sort of treatment that would provide some sort of relief to their children. And when all else fails, they kind of threw a Hail Mary, if you'll use the football terminology, and tried something totally unique, which was, uh, which was cannabis. Mm -hmm. Now, they, um, in this one story that gained a lot of attention on CNN in 60 Minutes. There's this young girl named Charlotte Fiji who began having seizures at around uh, eight months of life. Her parents, again, tried all of these other types of medications, and if they weren't effective, sometimes they even made it worse. So they ended up trying um, an extract from a cannabis strain which was called Hippie's Disappointment because it was rich in CBD, mm -hmm. uh, low in THC, wasn't getting anyone high. But this practically got her seizures completely under control where she was having very few seizures whatsoever. This individual, Charlotte Fiji, was not the first, um, but her story gained a lot of popularity. The strain that was used is now known as Charlotte's Web, and a whole company has been built off of it, and you oh, can wow. get these products all over the place. And new tonight, a controversial treatment, and the waiting list is in the thousands. Parents desperately trying to get their hands on a special strain of cannabis for their kids. It's called Charlotte's Web. And only on 7 News, Lindsay Watts shows us why it's about to become widely available in our state and why some are warning that we should proceed with caution. It's been this accidental miracle. Every laugh, every word, 
is a gift Charlotte Figgy's family didn't think they'd ever see. Two years ago, we had reached the end of the line for medical options. They were ready to say goodbye. <laughs> the epileptic seizures started when Charlotte was just a baby and grew more violent, more frequent. It's okay, honey. Mommy's here. Up to 1,200 a month. Dr. Amy Brooks Kale is the head of pediatric neurology at Children's Hospital Colorado. She says her main concern with Charlotte's Web is lack of research. What the risks associated might be either short-term risks in terms of effects on liver or blood count and longer-term risks like learning and memory. And love for her family. It's been amazing to have, to hear her talking with me and, and interacting. It's, it's been, it's, it's, I can't even put into words what that means to me. A story that's planted seeds of hope for so many others. But whether their solution lies in these greens, that's still the question. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about the effects of cannabis on the brain with Dr. Kaplan. And we were just getting into this idea of autism. Absolutely. You know, when we think about autism spectrum disorder, it's important to point out that it is indeed a spectrum. Right. And it can, people's symptoms can range from mild to severe. And it's often not just autism that you're treating. If we can, if we can find a, a therapy that improves autism-like symptoms, then it may also improve other uh, symptoms of these disorders because rarely is autism occurring on its own. It often comes with cognitive impairment, anxiety, other types of things. As a result, if we can treat one, we might be able to help with the other. So that was kind of our justification for at least looking into it. Right. And so once you did look into it at U University of Washington, mm -hmm. what did you find out? Yeah, so it was a really interesting uh, set of experiments for me. I did not go to the University of Washington to study cannabis or CBD. Um, it kind of fell into my lap. We were looking at uh, tr trying to find novel techniques to treat this really difficult to treat Dravet syndrome. And um, CBD was becoming... Um, People were considering it at the time, and so we brought it into the lab to test it out. And what we found was that it was actually quite a powerful uh, treatment at rescuing some of these uh, social behavioral deficits that were seen in our mouse model of autism. Some people might say, well, how do you create an autism mouse? Or how do you, how do you test autism in a mouse? This is a social, or this is a human disorder. And, mm -hmm. and indeed it is. So we can only do our best. Um, mm -hmm. And so we can develop um, behavioral techniques that get at some of those core features of autism spectrum disorder that are seen in humans, such as um, a lack of social motivation. So um, we can model this in mice by basically putting, in the, putting them in a chamber and testing whether or not they want to spend time interacting with either a novel mouse, a social uh, stimulus, or uh, an inanimate object. And so we can test the amount of time that they spend interacting with one another. We can also look at just their general interaction behavior when they're engaged with another mouse. Um, 
these uh, mouse models of autism, one of the things that they do is when they go up and they sniff another mouse, they become rapidly overwhelmed by mm -hmm. that sensory stimulus. And they'll, they'll make this really stereotypical darting behavior where they sprint to the other side of the chamber and just kind of huddle there for a second as if they're scared. Individuals with autism tend to be very sensitive to sensory stimulus. It could be bright lights, it could be loud noises, it could be certain odors. Um, and this really reflects this um, imbalance in brain chemical systems that are similar to those that are seen in epilepsy. This tipping in the brain's excitatory inhibitory balance towards excitation, um, which is why epilepsy and autism often go hand in hand. Many children that are more on the severe end of the autism spectrum also are prone to having seizures. Oh, wow. And so it's possible that you can use uh, the same drug to treat both the seizures as well as the autism. Now, one of the interesting things that we discovered was that the dose of CBD that was needed to reduce the seizures was much higher than the dose that was needed to treat the autism-like social deficits. Okay. So we found that if we went to the same dose that was um, effective at treating seizures, we lost the improvements in social behavior. Mm. So those occur at a much lower dose, almost a tenth of what we were seeing before. Mm. And, and this is one of the biggest challenges, again, in using CBD um, for medicinal purposes. and it really necessitates a much wider and larger uh, study uh, into the, the appropriate dosing within a clinical setting. But again, we really struggle to do this um, under the federal guidelines right. that restrict our research access. So this is a major problem. So yeah, you just went over basically kind of the future of your work, like really honing in on what this range is and what is too much and what is too little and mm -hmm. what, how, it, how it's affecting other parts of the brain. What are other things that are kind of, um, what I want to say, barriers in kind of your research in maybe public perception and maybe another kind of future effort that you would like to do in your research? So, I think there are a number of really exciting new directions that we can go um, with this type of research. As I mentioned earlier on, one of the biggest challenges is studying kind of a human use pattern of cannabis in the laboratory setting. Mm -hmm. If there are thousands of different strains within the United States that people are using for their own medicinal uh, purposes, then we should be studying those strains. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, what people in, our, in an academic research institution are limited to doing is using individual cannabinoids like CBD or THC and often injecting it into rodents. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know anyone that is injecting just THC right. into their body. Right. That is not how people consume it. They are vaping it or smoking it or taking a pill or eating a cookie or what you name it. And so um, mimicking those human use patterns, I think, is a really important step forward that now we're starting to get the tools to do that. One of the, uh, well, two of the things that my lab um, will be doing is dissolving these cannabinoids in kind of like a jello, uh, okay. a cannabis jello, if you will, so that the, uh, the mice can eat it 
which will mimic um, the edibles that, that a lot of humans are consuming. We also have passive inhalation chambers. Think of like a hot box for mice, where we can combust flour, we can vape oil, so that they're inhaling the cannabis um, as opposed to, you know, again, getting injected with it. That's a really important step because the way that we consume cannabis has a really important impact over how it's affecting our body. Right. For instance, um, smoking or vaping cannabis will cause effects in a much more rapid manner than, for instance, eating it. Mm. So if you, you know, take a, a, a hit of from a, a joint or if you take a hit from a vape pen, that's going to reach the brain in about five minutes, five to ten minutes, and you're going to start noticing effects right away. If you eat a cookie, it's going to take one to two hours before you start noticing the effects. Wow. And the other thing that's important to note is that when you eat a, uh, when you have an edible that contains THC, you can get more high from an edible than you would from an equivalent amount uh, when you're vaping it. And part of the reason is because when you consume an edible, it goes through first pass metabolism by the liver uh, and your digestive tract, which converts that THC into another active metabolite, boring name, but known as 11-hydroxy-THC. And that's even stronger Mm. than THC is, which is why some people report having really adverse effects by eating a cookie. I, I got way too high. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because of this really strong metabolite that you don't get at the same concentration if you're vaping or smoking. And so that's a really important thing to consider. And so if you take all of that together, the composition of the cannabis that you're consuming, is it rich in THC? Is it rich in CBD? Is it more balanced? Mm -hmm. How are you consuming it? These are all things that, um, if you talk about misconceptions, this idea that cannabis is cannabis is cannabis is totally wrong. Mm -hmm. There are so many different products out there and so many different combinations of cannabinoids and terpenes that you have to really take each in each component or each product as its own individual drug. There's a lot of cannabis in in so, you know social media and pop culture, but maybe we could also go down the neuroscience route. How do you think your field is portrayed in pop culture? I think there are a number of people out there who think that cannabis is a miracle cure-all for everything, mm. um, and I think we have to remain a little skeptical to those claims. You know, there are increasing numbers of scientific reports that, that, rep that suggest that it does have benefits in a variety of conditions, but we really need to extend those to clinical trials before we can really make these claims. You know, when you think about what do I see that seems kind of outlandish, well, you know, I do a lot of um, scientific writing about the topic for different news sources, and right. the comments that I see on some of my articles are just absolutely striking. What's um, your favorite one? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a pawn, or I'm a puppet, and I'm just spewing this government BS. If I ever say that there's not, there's not any data suggesting X, Y, or Z, right. you know, um, you know, I was. I wrote so you're one owned by the government. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I wrote one article about this, this the rising rate of um, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, in which a number of people are um, going into the emergency room with this kind of repeated bouts of vomiting. And I wrote about the different mechanisms by which that occurs.
but how many people told me that that was a bunch of BS and it doesn't exact that doesn't exist and I'm making this up because I work for the government and um, you should not read the comments. Oh, I made that. Yeah, I've learned <laughs> from my mistakes. But you know that people. It's interesting, you know, when you, you think about other types of medications that have gone through the traditional route of being designed in a laboratory, um, put through the preclinical trials in rodents, then translated to humans and human clinical trials, people don't tend to question those, right? They say, oh, this is what my doctor said, but people feel like they have a different level of ownership over cannabis in which they know what's best, they know exactly how it affects their brain and body, and they don't care what we see or what we say. Um, and, and to some degree, you know, we, we are still learning about how it's working and, mm -hmm. and its therapeutic efficacy. It's worked backwards, right? right? We have seen the use of cannabis in people such as Charlotte Fiji, and we're going back and saying, okay, right. how is this working in the brain? Right. Is this truly effective? And that's the opposite approach that, that most medicines go. But I think as a result of that, people take this unusual sense of ownership into um, how they're treating themselves with cannabis so they know best and if, if scientists say otherwise that maybe it's less effective than we thought or they should be trying something else, um, they don't like to hear that. Right. Well, that's super interesting and I loved the story of history because I love talking about that. But thank you for being on our show and thank you for everything I've learned today. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thank you to Dr. Josh Kaplan for taking the time to talk to us. Additional audio clips include Reefer Madness and ABC Channel 7 News. Spark Science is sponsored by WWU and created in partnership with KMRE. Spark Science is recorded on location and in Bellingham, Washington at Western Washington University. The producers are Suzanne Blaze, Regina Barbara DeGraff, and Robert Clark. Student editors are Julia Thorpe, Andrew Norton, and Zarek Coakley. Additional editing is done by WWU Video Services. If there's a science idea you're curious about, post a message on our Facebook page or tweet us at SparkScienceNow. Thanks for joining us, and if you want to listen to past episodes, visit SparkScienceNow.com. Thank you.